Harvard Divinity School. Leading Toward Justice, Intersections of Religion, Ethics, and Journalism, April 27th, 2022. Okay, with that, I am very excited to introduce our moderator for today's discussion, Susie Hayward. Um, Susie is the Associate Director for the Religious Literacy and the Professions Initiative of Religion and Public Life at Harvard Divinity School. Um, as a scholar and an activist, she's taken a leading role in a discussion of religion shaping public life, especially as it affects efforts to advance justice and peace. Um, in the recent past, um, Susie served as a senior advisor for religion and inclusive societies at the United Institute of Peace. And she was also a 2020-2021 fellow in the religion and public life at HDS. We are very honored to have you lead today's discussion, Susie. So I'll turn it over to you to introduce our panelists. Thank you. Thanks, Chandra. And it's really great for Religion and Public Life to be co-organizing um, this series of, of events that we're holding that highlights uh, our amazing HDS alumnics who are working across several critical sectors for advancing the public understanding of religion for the service of just peace, which is the mission of religion and public life. RPL, for those who aren't aware, RPL is, uh, is a new program. It was officially launched in October 2020. And um, with this mission, we do primarily two audiences that we work with. The first is our students at HDS who are preparing for careers outside of traditional uh, ministry or academia, but preparing to go into fields like media or education or humanitarianism and are bringing their religious studies degree to bear in those careers. So we help them with the preparation for doing that, um, pursuing those vocations. And then secondly, we work with experienced professionals to advance religious literacy across these, um, these key arenas. And of course, one of those arenas that we work with uh, uh, or work on is media and journalism in particular, because journalism and media is highly influential in shaping public understandings of, of religion generally, as well as religious traditions specifically. So we're very pleased today to have three HDS alumnics who illustrate precisely what it looks like to take a degree in religious studies and to apply it to the work of journalism across various platforms, uh, print media, radio, television, and covering various roles um, within media production, whether uh, reporting, producing, or editing. Um, we have our, our panel represents folks who are working specifically on covering religion in the, in the religion beat. Um, but also who are covering broader issues in society and politics, um, places where the focus might not be explicitly on religion, but religion inevitably uh, shows up as it does across human society. So I would like to invite the three panelists to slide on into the room here by turning on their videos. And I'll just quickly introduce them to you, but we're also gonna drop into the chat box links to their wider bios that I encourage you to take a look at. Um, we have first Eloise um, Blandio, who's an MTS from 2016. Eloise is an associate producer with New York's public radio show on the media. And uh, her previous work was as a journalist and a broadcast producer across various platforms. We also have Caitlin Yoshiko Kondal, who is an MTS graduate from 2009. Caitlin currently serves as the deputy editor of NBC Asian America, 
uh, and she has also previously done award-winning coverage on religion and communities of color across um, various news publications. Uh, Caitlin is based in the Bay Area and Eloise is based in New York City. And then finally, we have Joshua Eaton, who is an MDiv graduate from 2010. Joshua is an investigative reporter who's based in Washington, DC. Um, he works with NBC News and previously was with CQ Roll Call and is also a Gomes honoree from 2020. Is that right, Joshua? Great. So it's wonderful to have all three of you here. Again, um, feel free to uh, look at their full bios on the website. And sorry, let me just correct one uh, mistake I made, which is that Eloise is a producer, not an associate producer at Alma Media. So I would like to begin with um, each of you just sharing a bit about your career path, how you got to the, the roles you're at now. So Eloise, if I could begin with you, please. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yes, I'm a producer at On The Media and we're a show on uh, New York Public Radio that plays um, across the country every weekend. And we also have um, a podcast version. Um, it's a show about the media, uh, the press, but more broadly about, um, I like to say, the stories that we tell ourselves and tracing where certain narratives come from in, and where they show up in news or politics or culture and interrogating if they serve us or if they're even true. Um, and I definitely did not imagine myself to be in radio uh, when I was studying at HDS. Um, I was joking with my fellow uh, panelists that um, it seems we all thought we were gonna do a PhD when we arrived and um, it didn't uh, work out that way. Um, so I was doing journalism internships throughout my studies and that's what led me uh, to my job upon graduating at uh, a Jesuit media organization called America. And um, they it felt to me a good kind of marriage of uh, religion and journalism. Um, and uh, I ended up producing their podcast kind of by accident. Um, and uh, the last podcast I produced there was on uh, the role of the Catholic Church in the AIDS crisis. And that kind of launched me to my to my current gig. Thank you, Eloise. Caitlin, how about you? What was the path that led you to where you are? Um, hi, everyone. Um, so I'm deputy editor of NBC Asian America, which is the vertical at NBC News Digital that covers the Asian American community. Um, and I also work with other diversity verticals at uh, NBC. So that's NBC BLK, NBC Latino, and NBC Out. Um, and so as Eloise said, I went to Divinity School thinking I was going to go into academia, but I quickly learned that I didn't want to focus all of my time on theory and ancient texts and that I was much more interested in what was happening today. Um, so I actually got into journalism after I graduated. Um, my first gig was at um, a Black newspaper in Boston called the Bay State Banner. Um, and that experience was really formative for me and really important because it taught me how to center communities, center um, questions of race and justice and religion in my reporting. And I think I've, I've carried that throughout my career. Um, and so since then, I've worked at a variety of faith-based and also mainstream publications covering race and religion. Yeah. 
Thanks, Caitlin. There's this theme of thinking that you're going to go into the PhD program and then at some point deciding maybe that's not for me that we heard with the humanitarianism panel as well. How about you, Joshua? Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I also thought I would do a PhD when I was at uh, HDS. Um, and then um, after graduating, decided that uh, the um, the academic job market wasn't looking so great. So of course the journalism job market was so much better, um, foolishly in hindsight. Uh, but uh, I got my foot in the door uh, doing national reporting, um, reporting on the self-immolations in Tibet um, uh, for uh, Al Jazeera um, and later doing some reporting for uh, Al Jazeera America. Um, and, uh, uh, gradually uh, built up a, a freelance career there. Um, after freelancing for several years in Boston, uh, I moved to DC in uh, 2017 uh, to uh, work on the investigative team at first at Think Progress, then at uh, CQ Roll Call. Um, uh, now I'm uh, working with the uh, digital enterprise team at uh, NBC News, where I do um, uh, research and reporting, and uh, one of my specialties through my career has been uh, freedom, of, freedom of Information Act and, and public records digging. Uh, so still keeping up the uh, document and text digging that uh, was one of, one of my passions at Divinity School. Okay, so you're doing little mini dissertations all the time. Let the record show that we are not intending for this panel to be about not pursuing a PhD in religious studies, if that's what you're interested in doing. Um, but that there's alternatives to being able to apply a religious studies degree and, and those skills. And so um, with that in mind, I would love to maybe Caitlin, I'll start with you with the, the second question, which is about how your HDS education, the particular knowledge and the skills that you developed in, in, in religious studies uh, formation has been applicable for you in your journalism career. And especially if you have any stories that you can offer, we'd love to hear those. Um, so I think just like on a basic level, there's definitely, HDS definitely gave me religious literacy and just um, comfort covering religion. I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable covering it. Um, and then also just kind of going into different communities that I'm not a part of. I just feel comfortable doing that. Um, but I think the most important thing, HDS gave me a lens of compassion and empathy that I think that I approach my reporting and my work with. Um, so that means um, just really listening to people, really listening to communities, um, especially because I mostly cover marginalized communities um, that aren't covered in the media too often. Um, and just trying to understand where they're coming from and then to write in a way that's authentic to those communities. So that means not just kind of parachuting in as an outsider and then writing something that's like Buddhism 101 or Islam 101, but trying to write something that resonates with those communities too, something that they'll find interesting, something that they'll learn from too, and something that reflects what, what's going on in their community as well. Um, um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I, I took from my experience at HDS. Thanks, Caitlin, appreciate that. How about you, Joshua? How does your approach to journalism, how has it been informed by your HDS formation? I've definitely, uh, I've done a lot of religion reporting. I'm, I'm not 
primarily a religion reporter right now. And, and obviously uh, when I've been reporting on religion, um, that education and those skills come in a lot. Um, and, and also, uh, you know, I did a, an MDiv um, and, you know, some of the, the uh, pastoral training uh, from the MDiv curriculum definitely comes in, especially when I'm doing, uh, you know, sensitive interviews. Um, but kind of bigger picture, I think for me, um, when I'm thinking about something like um, the rise of the far right in the US or when I'm thinking about elections or when I'm thinking about something like uh, Ukraine, I think a lot of the discourse around those topics, especially somewhere like DC, it tends to either focus on uh, like uh, ideology or, or policy or it focuses on um, uh, like material interests. So, you know, why are these people voting these way, this way? Is it, you know, because of this policy or is it because of these material interests? Um, but I think, you know, religious studies education has given me a, a much broader perspective in, in thinking about things in terms of meaning making and cultivation of a self and community and identity and belonging. Um, and those kind of bigger picture, more existential uh, questions that I think often have much more to do with uh, our human motivation than uh, our particular ideology or, or policy or, or even the you know, economic or financial interest. Yeah, I appreciate that. So it's not just about understanding the details of different religious traditions, but it's also about the kinds of questions and stories that you look for that that might be more or underlined beyond sort of the superficial level. Eloise, how about you? Yeah, um, I definitely, uh, uh, one of the classes that resonated with me a lot when I kind of uh, moved into journalism was my religious literacy class with uh, Professor Diane Moore, where I was definitely kind of made uh, more aware to some of the tropes around religion that we see so often. Uh, you know, this religion is inherently peaceful, that religion is inherently violent. Uh, religion can be separated out from uh, politics and culture and, and what have you. Um, so kind of on a, just in a basic approach to uh, covering religion, I felt prepared. And I think, um, as uh, Caitlin said, a lot of people are nervous about covering religion if they haven't had that kind of um, training. Um, but beyond just religion stories, as a producer, um, I have to do a lot of research really, really quick, um, really, really quickly. And, um, you know, so I might come on a, it's a weekly show. So on a Monday, we're talking about potential ideas for that uh, Friday's show with talking about different guests, different experts, different academics. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, on a Tuesday, I might look at a book that's 600 pages and think, is this a good fit for the show? And I will have to read it. I will reach out and speak to the, the author. I will then kind of prepare um, an interview plan with our host. Um, and being able to read and synthesize complicated information uh, really fast 
um, that's what I did. <laughs> that's what I did at HDS. I think though my long uh, reading lists for my classes definitely, um, definitely uh, helped prepare me for doing that uh, on a weekly basis. Um, and in terms of actually, uh, one of the exciting things for me about going into journalism instead of pursuing that uh, PhD was being able to kind of translate um, academic research for a broader audience. Um, that's one of my favorite things about my job. And I don't know, I would have made that leap if I hadn't gone to HDS. Thanks, Eloise. Yeah, we talk about religious literacy and religion and public life as um, being more than just understanding different religious traditions, which includes that, but it's also about um, understanding the nature of religion and being able to ask questions that disrupt assumptions about particular religions or about religion and secularism generally. So I appreciate that you're, you're, you're doing that and you're thinking about that with your journalism. Um, I would love to um, have each of you share an example of a news story that you've worked on in the past, a, a specific story where you could talk about um, some of this training in religious literacy or some of the ethical dilemmas that, that come up in, in reporting on particular stories. Um, if, if, if you could illustrate through an example how you're applying some of this HDS formation. So Joshua, can I start with you this time? Sure. So um, one, one story I think about this is I did a whole series of stories um, from uh, New Hampshire and Massachusetts uh, in 2015 and 2016 uh, during the primaries. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of those were on um, all of the candidates. A lot of them were on uh, Trump because he was uh, emerging as the front runner at that time. Um, so I was uh, driving all over New Hampshire, uh, going to primaries for all of these candidates. It was still a really crowded uh, Republican field at that time. Uh, and I was uh, talking to a lot of potential voters um, about uh, you know, why they were there, why they were interested in a particular candidate or not interested in the candidate and, and what their motivations were. And I think um, having a uh, for religious studies framework and, and having studied religion and, and written about religion, um, again, just allowed me to have a different frame on it. Um, I wasn't thinking about it exclusively in terms of policy distinctions or, you know, this candidate is further to the left or further to the right of this candidate. Um, uh, I was uh, able to think about it a little bit more in terms of identity, in terms of community, in terms of meaning um, and those other motivations, good or bad, um, that people had. Um, and uh, also, you know, just able to, um, you know, in as much as I could, uh, listen to people and, and uh, try to make them feel heard and, um, you know, um, uh, like I was being present with them uh, when they were talking to me. Um, which, uh, you know, was my job in that situation. Um, you know, when I was covering, uh, you know, a Clinton rally in the morning and a, a Trump rally in the evening uh, and just going back and forth between those two situations and trying to make people in both of them feel like 
you know, I was, you know, hearing what they were saying. Um, uh, and so uh, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it just gave me a different lens and a different perspective uh, that, you know, um, a lot of uh, reporters uh, who sort of come up through the ranks of political reporting don't necessarily have. Yeah, there's a real, you know, in religious studies, we're taught to interrogate a lot of categories, right? And and I appreciate that what you have to do in journalism, and Eloise, you were speaking to this too, is, is present um, what's like report on current events that are going on, happenings that are going on in a way that can be accessible to a public audience, but without losing the complexity of, of what's happening politically, socially for individuals within the larger social and cultural context. So I appreciate what you're saying, Joshua, in terms of being able to bring your religious studies training and trying to not fall into easy categories of left, right politics or, and so on, um, but still try to capture some of the complexity in, in writing for a public audience. Eloise, how about you? Do you have a story to share with us? Um, I do have a story that I think of as my most HDS <laughs> story that I worked on. Um, and it was a story I reported for on the media um, that was called, uh, where, did, where Did White Jesus Come From? Um, and I pitched it when Trump had been talking about um, kind of scam fear-mongering about uh, white Jesus images and statues being pulled from churches. And um, at first I hesitated about pitching it because I think in an HDS context, or if you've studied religion, or if you've studied historical Jesus, it just kind of seems really obvious. Um, some, of the, some of the answers to, to those questions. Um, but actually I learned a lot in reporting uh, kind of beyond kind of the classes that I had taken on historical Jesus or in hermeneutics um, that, um, I think also was helpful to people who, a broader audience who perhaps had never thought about where this image that they have encountered so many times even uh, came from before. Um, and so I had the opportunity to speak to a really um, broad range of uh, experts and academics, um, which again, I think I'm more comfortable with because I, because of my training at, at HDS. So in addition to talking to um, the Reverend uh, Kelly Brown Douglas about the theology of the black Jesus, I also spoke to psychologists who had studied um, the consequences of exposure to the white Jesus um, image. Um, I also spoke to historians who had traced um, how uh, Hollywood had influenced um, depictions of Jesus. Um, and so, um, and I was also able to speak to uh, a pastor in Detroit who remembered a statue being painted black as it remains today um, in the Detroit uprisings. Um, so I think, uh, I don't, I really don't think I would have been able to bring together so many different um, uh, layers of research from different places if I hadn't already had this kind of grounding um, from HDS. Um, and I was also really um, found it really rewarding being able to take something that I had learned in an academic context and make it um, accessible for a, a broader audience.
fantastic, Eloise. I mean, I love, again, it's an example of doing like a mini dissertation with, <laughs> with every um, really in-depth news piece that, that you're doing and, um, and, and also the importance of being able to translate academic research to a public audience is a really particular skill that is also takes time to be able to hone and develop. And I appreciate that in your journalism training, including just being thrown out there to do journalism, that's precisely what you have to, to learn how to do. Um, Caitlin, how about, how about you? Um, so obviously the biggest story for the Asian American community in, the, in recent years has been um, anti-Asian hate and everyone has covered this, but I don't think a lot of people had look, have looked at it from a religious lens, which um, I started to do once these incidents started happening. So I noticed that um, some Asian Buddhist temples had been vandalized. So I asked the, uh, the National Reporting Center Stop AAPI Hate what kind of um, reports they had gotten about um, religious institutions being vandalized. And they said that there are several Buddhist temples that have been vandalized, but there are no reports of Asian American Christian churches being vandalized, which I thought was really interesting. And it just showed that there was a religious element um, happening and, and not a lot of reporters saw those intersections between race and religion. Um, and another way that the religious lens kind of informed my reporting on that issue was there are a lot of great conversations happening in religious communities about um, about how to tackle these issues. So a lot of Asian American evangelicals are in majority white churches. And when um, these hate incidents started happening, I think some of them were a little bit shocked that their, that their fellow parishioners were not sympathetic or were the source of some of those incidents. Um, so I wrote a long story about um, a group that came about um, in early 2020 called the Asian American Christian Collaborative and how they're kind of grappling with anti-Asian hate in the evangelical community. Um, and then also the Asian American Buddhist community is talking about these issues as well. And I think the pandemic kind of sparked, I mean, these conversations have always been happening, but it really sparked a reckoning with what they feel is kind of the whitewashing of Buddhism in the US. And, there's been a lot of conversation about about that as well. So I think that because of the religion lens that I bring as a reporter, I was able to see some of these stories that were missed elsewhere. Oh, that's a fantastic example. Um, and again, is getting at the being able to uncover the complexity by asking some of these questions about religion and bringing them into conversations about current events. Um, white supremacy, hate speech, experience of immigrant communities, and so on, that one could ignore the religious dimensions entirely, if not sort of trained to, to look at that. And with that in mind, I would love um, to just open this up to any of you to, to answer in whatever order you'd like. Um, but I'm curious generally about, you know, you're coming in with a particular curiosity about religion. Um, whether or not you're covering the religion beat or not. And I'm, I'm curious about what the, how you feel um, you've been received with that expertise in the media field by your colleagues, what you see as kind of the status of thinking and talking and covering religion issues in media right now um, and where you think it's heading. Which brave soul wants to go first on that? I'll just jump in um, to say that I actually was nervous uh, when I first uh, 
went into journalism because I had only st I'd studied religion for so long it felt like um, that I would be pigeonholed or kind of not seen as being able to do a kind of a wider selection of stories or that I'd have to really do a lot of convincing to let people um, let me cover religion. Uh, that, of course, was not the case when I worked at a Jesuit media organization because it was faith based um, and it has not been the case uh, in my current job at New York Public Radio, where actually I really found that um, it was what helped me get the job because my team was so interested in religion and also did not feel comfortable or confident enough maybe um, tackling it, um, in, especially in, su in such a tight turnaround with the news. Um, so I, I, I've definitely, I think that my team would like me to pitch more religion stories than I do. Um, I know that ne isn't necessarily uh, the norm across the board though. Um, but that is my experience. Always, Caitlin or Joshua? I can go. I mean, um, when I started, it was definitely difficult to try to carve out this race and religion beat. But and and one of the reasons why. Um, I started off at um, the Bay State Banner was because that was a place where I could write about those issues. And at the time, there just weren't many places that were willing to, to do stories about those things. But one of the great things that I've seen is that since then, um, stories about race, stories about religion are what news outlets are looking for. Um, so it's just great to see the industry kind of changing in that way. There's obviously still a long way to go. Um, for me, there's kind of been two different struggles. Um, for mainstream publications, it's sometimes and not always challenging to, to convince editors to do religion stories. Or if you do do one religion story, then you kind of feel like, oh, I can't pitch another one. You don't want to overdo it. Um, and then for faith-based publications, it's also sometimes a challenge. I mean, and this is not universal, but it can be a challenge to um, center communities of color. I feel like a lot of times they're very white or Christian based. And so I feel like I have two different struggles going on, but, but everything is getting so much better. It's just, we're in such a different place than we were when I started over 10 years ago. It's great to hear that there's, that your experience is that there's, there's a greater reception for the religious dimensions, covering the religious dimensions. Is, have you had a similar experience, Joshua? I will say that my experience has been, first of all, I, I do think it um, uh, can be challenging to uh, show people in journalism, especially people outside of uh, religion news and religion publications, uh, the value of uh, a religious studies education. Um, uh, if I have a job interview, guaranteed that's going to be one of the questions that gets asked, you know, how did you go from studying Tibetan Buddhism to being an investigative reporter, which is a fair question, but it's also, I think people don't quite know what to do with it, or, or they see it as, if not a red flag, maybe a yellow flag, um, that, uh, you know, you went to Divinity School and not journalism school. Um, and so there's some translation that has to happen. Um, I do also think, and this is not a, a 
singling out any one uh, uh, publication or outlet that um, in general, I think some uh, non-religion outlets uh, sort of uh, have a tendency to kind of silo religion off to like their religion stories that are about religion, uh, which tend to be about their you know, often kind of softer stories that are about uh, like belief or faith. Um, and then, um, you know, there are kind of hard hitting stories that are about uh, politics or power or accountability. Um, and, uh, you know, the, those streams don't often cross. Um, and, and, you know, the areas where they do cross or, you know, tend to be very telling about our kind of cultural biases, you know, for example, stories about Islam, then they cross, but stories about Buddhism, they don't cross as much. Um, and so I think, um, you know, there is a tendency, first of all, not to see religion stories as especially hard hitting, um, uh, but also not to see uh, religion as um, having to do with uh, like power or accountability. Um, in the same way that, for example, politics does. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that is um, a struggle and, and hopefully something that's, that's getting better. Um, but uh, I think it can be uh, an uphill walk. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that um, note about how when religion when religion coverage does move beyond kind of local belief-centered coverage of religious communities and so on into sort of the wider political, geopolitical, economic coverage and so on, it tends to be in ways that reinforce particular biases people have about religion generally or about religious, particular religious traditions specifically. I've noted that myself. So the last question um, I want to ask, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna open it up to questions from our audience. So audience members, please um, send along what's on your mind as as you listen in, or based on your experiences or what you've seen of um, the intersection of journalism and religion. But the last question I'd like I'd like to ask you about is one that has um, that, that has been I I think central in conversations among journalists, but also critiques of journalism um, over the past decade or so. But it's this question of neutrality in journalism. Of course, one of the core principles of, of journalism is being the objective reporter, um, being a, a neutral reporter. Um, but there's increasingly skepticism that, that that is possible or that that should be a, a central um, primary grounding principle for journalism. So I, I wonder if you can kind of grapple with this question for us a little bit of um, whether a journalist can ever truly be neutral or if a journalist sh should always um, try to take a side of objectivity and neutrality. So Caitlin, can I begin with you? Um, sure, so this question of objectivity is one that journalists are talking about a lot, um, especially after the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. I think a lot of reporters of color felt like, um, uh, you know, how can you stay neutral? How can you stay objective in the face of um, you know, violence and human rights violations? And what does it mean if you also wanna participate in the protests while also covering them? Um, and I feel like a lot of reporters of color don't feel like that lens of objectivity really works for them. Um, 
So, and instead, I think there's a conversation about how do we center fairness and accuracy and, and, and inclusion instead of this idea of objectivity, which often unfortunately tends to be kind of a, a, a white or male perspective. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. Eloise. Yeah, this is something that um, our show on the media has grappled with um, <laughs> a lot re recently, but over the years. And um, I always think about um, the media critic Jay Rosen and what he calls, um, he calls this commitment to objectivity, a commitment to a view from no nowhere. Um, he says it's not really constructive to the journalism. It doesn't really produce good good journalism and it can also be not just um you know harmless performance but it can actually have really bad consequences if it leads to kind of false equivalences um so in my view i think uh it's better to acknowledge a point of view than to pretend it's not there um i think that does a better service to an audience too um because um it also encourages reporters uh to state their values and you know truth is a value <laughs> and uh democracy is a value and i think um we get better journalism um when those values are pursued and stated i appreciate that democratic deliberation as a value to to be centered in journalism Joshua, how about you? So uh, I, um, first of all, I should say, I, I do think there is um, a place for certain kinds of uh, formal neutrality in journalism. Uh, and what I mean by that is, I, you know, I don't um, sign petitions, for example, or um, vote in party primaries. I don't think those are the only ethics that journalists should follow. They're, the ethics I follow for very particular reasons. Um, you know, I don't want to potentially conflict myself out of doing stories that are important. Uh, I don't want to um, do a story and then have, you know, um, uh, what party primary I voted in become the issue after the story comes out, rather than the important, you know, social issue or accountability that I'm trying to highlight. Um, so uh, I think there can be a place for certain kinds of formal neutrality in journalism. I, I don't think they're the only ethics that, you know, uh, journalists should follow or they're exclusive or, or universal necessarily, but I do think they have their place. Um, I also, uh, you know, so I was in Charlottesville reporting on uh, Unite the Right for uh, Think Progress in 2017. And, you know, there were not two sides in Charlottesville. Um, you know, I was there, I saw it, I was, threatened at a couple of points by one particular side there. Um, uh, you know, there were not two sides, um, um, morally speaking. But, you know, the person who did the car attack, for example, um, if I had gotten a chance to do an interview with that person, uh, you know, from the jail, for example, I, I didn't. But if I had, um, I definitely would have done that interview because uh, you know, it's my job as a reporter to get as much information as I can. Um, and I think it's possible to uh, report on 
something like that or, or someone like that without drawing moral equivalencies. Um, I've reported on uh, sexual assault in religious communities and you know, I've had to call someone who uh, was accused of, of sexual assault on a child and say, you know, there are these uh, allegations, how do you comment? Clearly not two sides in that situation at all. Um, but, you know, it's my job as a reporter to, um, you know, to get comment and, and to get information um, and, um, uh, you know, and to, and to be responsible about it. Uh, so, you know, uh, there aren't, you know, two sides uh, morally to every situation, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, I, I think there's a, a difference between uh, this kind of moral equivalency of both sides and, and reporting on both sides, uh, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I, I appreciate that. Um, and there's also ways in which I mean, it's a powerful platform with, with journalism. So also recognizing that what, what you all do in helping to lift up the voices of those who are often unheard and who are not a part of you know, dominant society, in particular what you're doing, Caitlin, with the communities that you follow is, is also about sharing these different perspectives and disrupting assumptions and doing all the things we're talking about that are about an ethical, um, justice-oriented uh, approach to journalism that I see in all of your work. So let me, let me share one of the questions that's coming in from our audience here. This is from Kyle Dietrich. Hi, Kyle. He was at HDS when I was there. Um, he asks, uh, he's curious about how the rise of fake news and dis or misinformation has changed how you approach the work of journalism. Anybody want to take that one on? I mean, um, it's another thing to cover. <laughs> I think um, I can just say that on the show, we spend a lot of time um, tracing where certain types of misinformation or disinformation come from and uh, in order to explain what the truth is. So it's a lot of kind of correcting the record and also thinking critically about the best way to do that without kind of giving too much um, prominence perhaps um, to certain uh, kinds of bad actors. I am humbled by the work it must take to filter through all the white noise of information that's out there, whether um, truthful information, how we find truth, or, or mis or disinformation, and trying to find the story to tell in the midst of that. Caitlin or Joshua, anything to add on this question of fake news and disinformation and navigating that or responding to that? If not, then um, there's another question here from Arlie, uh, who is asking what type of stories would you would you be interested in telling more of or taking deeper dives in? Joshua, I'm going to call on you here. Um, I love investigative reporting, um, uh, uh, accountability reporting. Um, it is having a rough time. Um, you know, uh, BuzzFeed, for example, recently announced that they're dismantling their investigative, their very storied award-winning investigative team uh, for uh, uh, basically uh, stupid financial reasons. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that is unfortunately pretty common um, in this news environment where a, a lot of publications are struggling, um, especially at the local level. And uh, investigative teams often get, uh, you know, poached to work on uh, uh, daily stories and um, kind of feed the beast of, um, uh, you know, um, having to have fresh comment to draw uh, viewers to either drive subscriptions or, or uh, drive uh, ad revenue or, or whatever the case may be, uh, just to keep the lights on often. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, we need more investigative reporting, accountability reporting. Um, you know, it is um, basically invaluable for the basic functionings of democracy. Um, and uh, it, it's having a rough go. Uh, so uh, not only would I love to do more of it, I would just love to see more of it in the world being done, uh, especially uh, at the local level. Amen. Yes, it's so critical right now when democracy is under threat in so many places for that that's investigatory reporting. Caitlin, are there any topics that you are eager to dive deep into? Um, not necessarily specific topics, but I, I love um, kind of long form feature writing and um, yeah, I love just kind of finding communities that are doing interesting things or where there are interesting people doing interesting things and just kind of um, doing a deep dive and just and and writing about those interesting people. Um, I just had a story published in The Guardian about um, a, a man who is the first uh, Latino Theravada Buddhist monk um, and he's in LA. Um, he's at a Sri Lankan Buddhist temple um, and it's interesting because because of his presence, the Sri Lankan Buddhist temple now has a really big uh, Latino following. Um, and there are now three Latino monks there. Um, and he's doing a lot of work um, translating Buddhist texts um, into Spanish, doing meditations in Spanish, so it's more accessible to a different community. Um, so those are the kinds of stories that I love, um, just finding interesting things that are interesting to people that are interesting to people who aren't interested in religion even um, and stories that tell us something bigger about the world um, it that story just kind of says something about what's happening in California and what's happening in Southern California um, beyond just kind of religion so those are the kinds of stories that I like um, but yeah as Joshua was saying it's it can be hard to you know be able to do those really in-depth stories um, the way you want because of uh, the way that the industry is going right now. Yeah, produce, produce, produce as quickly as possible. I would, you were speaking about that earlier, Eloise, and I was just thinking about like the, the disease of perfectionism that so, so many of us I have, I think, generally, but also um, I see it, you know, amongst those of us who have been students at HGS as well, and it must be hard to um, learn how to develop new stories at such a rapid pace um, when, when you have that, that desire to tell a story um, with all of its nuance in a perfected way. We have a question from Paul O'Donnell from Religion News Service here. Um, he says, Pamela Paul recently argued in her New York Times column against privileging only those with a stake in the story. And so he's wondering if there's a, a general sense among communities 
um, that you're covering that there might be resistance to sharing about their experiences or their faith in particular and how you've approached um, when you are covering religious communities in particular and those religious communities are not ones in which you practice or identify how um, you approach them and develop trust with them. Um, I My work, I'm mostly not um, reporting to on communities directly. I'm more, I'm often doing that work that I was talking about earlier, speaking to um, experts about their work and trying to kind of connect it to something we're seeing right now. Um, but I would say that people that I've um, interviewed or been in touch with who are most res resistant are often those who feel they've been misrepresented um, or they've had a really bad experience with just one reporter. Um, I think a lot of journalists um, can assume that sources understand how journalism works or what reporting is and I don't think that's really fair to sources um <laughs> I think and and you know one bad experience can mean um that a person or a community will not want to talk to journalists and honestly for good reason because sometimes um there can be kind of an extractive um uh relationship there I think um so I think uh, in terms of approaching people, I think it's just important, you know, to being aware of uh, the need to get the story, yes, but also just being really respectful of people. And if they, they don't want to talk to you, then they don't want to talk to you and you don't have to hassle them. <laughs> um, and you can be really clear about what you, you're working on and um, uh, what you're um, hoping to ask of them. And I think um, protecting and valuing their time as well as um, the information they might uh, be willing to share with you. Yeah, it's a tough line to have to walk ethically and wanting to incorporate voices of the folks who've maybe been marginalized around in the past while also being very attentive to their own um, experiences of having been harmed and, and not wanting to, to put them in a line of fire. Caitlin or Joshua, anything to add to that? Yeah, I'll say that um, having gone to HDS has actually helped a lot of times because um, if I'm not a part of that community, I can say, you know, I went to divinity school, I've studied religion for all these years, and then they understand that this isn't just an assignment for me, I'm not just kind of coming in and just doing a quick story and then leaving, but they understand that I've been invested in this and maybe, you know, they still might have to explain certain things, but there's kind of a base level of knowledge there that I have and trust. I think they trust that I'm not going to just say something horrible about them just just because because um, we have kind of a shared background or I have some understanding of where they're coming from. So that's definitely helped with sources. I'm going to throw out two questions here as our sort of final round, one from an audience member and uh, one one from me. But the one from our audience members, um, an invitation from Diana Simmons to share about a story that you worked on that's been really meaningful to you personally. So maybe your favorite story that you worked on. Um, and a second question I have is I'm, I'm noticing that a number of the folks who are with us as attendees today are, are current students at HGS, some of them um, thinking about vocations in journalism. And so I would love you to answer both or either 
of this uh, a meaningful story for you, but also advice or suggestions that you'd give to current students at HDS who are thinking about going into journalism. So Joshua, can I start with you? Sure, uh, I, um, way back, um, I can't even remember what year this was, but it was the year there was the, the snowpocalypse in Boston. And um, I did a story for Al Jazeera America on how, um, you know, you couldn't get anywhere, uh, like you couldn't get a cab or an Uber, if Uber even existed then, I don't remember if it did. And, um, you know, the, the tea was totally shut down. And so I did a story on how it was affecting uh, low wage workers who were like missing shifts and, you know, having places close and, you know, um, not getting paid because of it. Um, and uh, one of the people I spoke with was uh, a single mother of two who um, had uh, uh, lived in a, a, a rental walk up where there was some snow on the roof that had leaked and caused a power outage and hadn't had power for like a week. And her kids like couldn't do their homework at night. And uh, it was a whole mess. And the, the landlord, uh, according to her, was not being uh, responsive. And um, uh, the story came out on a Friday. And uh, on that Monday, uh, she had her power back on. Uh, so that was very gratifying. Um, and in terms of advice, I would say, um, you know, start uh, getting clips now, uh, if you can, uh, and building up those clips, building up relationships with uh, editors, um, which you're really gonna hang your hat on, especially uh, if you end up uh, freelancing. Um, it's very, uh, I, I taught a, a high school summer journalism workshop this past summer, and like the, the whole two weeks was just convincing them that uh, articles aren't term papers. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing. So, you know, uh, learn how to, you know, write an inverted pyramid story um, uh, if you haven't already. Um, and also uh, just take any opportunity you can to pick up uh, additional skills, um, whether it's something like programming, data skills, uh, GIS skills, um, anything like that that uh, could help you down the road. Thanks, Josh. How about you, Eloise? Hmm. Um, in terms of a meaningful story, um, it, this kind of answers the question of advice to students considering journalism as well, because they're actually, um, the, the individual stories that I've worked on, uh, on my own, I have probably found actually not my most rewarding personally, uh, or personally, personally meaningful. Um, something I love about radio is that uh, it's very collaborative and you learn a lot from your colleagues and there's a lot of communication. Um, it's a team effort. Um, and so for students considering journalism, definitely consider medium. Um, I really thought writing was the only option available to me when I was at HDS and I do not miss writing. I still write for radio, but I do not miss writing reported pieces um, at all. Um, it was, uh, I really much prefer the format of, of radio. And so I'll guess I'll just point to um, an hour that I worked on with some of my colleagues at On The Media, um, Zandra Ellen and 
Michael Lowinger, and it was about, it was called Body Meets World, and it was an hour in 2020 about disability um, and how uh, the pandemic might provide an opportunity to reconsider accessibility in different ways. And we talked about it from different perspectives. And um, yeah, I really, I learned a lot. I was able to bring a lot, um, contribute a lot to that project. And um, it's why I love the medium I ended up in. Great, thank you. We have a number of HCS students who have gone on to illustrious podcasting careers as well. Yes. Speaking of different forms of media, and we're actually building in Divinity Hall, where I'm sitting right now, a new podcast studio this summer. So we're hopeful that our current students will also be able to take advantage of that to hone their skills. That's Caitlin, great. last word to you. Oh, just in terms of advice, definitely um, get internships um, while you're a student, because a lot of those opportunities are closed once you graduate, because internships are kind of the, yeah, that's how you get into organizations, that's how you meet editors and get clips and just just start, start early. <laughs> and make sure that you really want to do it because it's a very difficult career path. <laughs> Thank you to all of you. We will send those um, favorite stories, Joshua, that and Eloise that you shared, we'll send those as links to everybody as well who was able to participate today. Thank you very much for taking time out of your really busy schedule as journalists to join us. You really are wonderful illustrations of what it means to take a religious studies degree into the work of journalism and how applicable it can it can be. So thank you very much for, for sharing your wisdom with us. And I'll hand it back over to Chandra now. Great. Thank you so much, um, Susie, Eloise, Joshua, and Caitlin um, for this fantastic discussion. Um, and thanks to all of you in the audience for your wonderful questions and for joining us today. Um, as you close this webinar, a survey will open in your browser um, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this program um, and what kind of uh, virtual events you would like to see in the future. Um, I also hope that you will stay connected to HDS um, by checking our website and following Harvard Divinity School on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we look forward to connecting with you. Thank you all very much. Sponsor, HDS Office of Development and External Relations. Copyright 2022, the President and Fellows of Harvard College.